Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Stevens Creek Church, how's everybody doing today? Yeah, feels good to be here with all of you. Um, like I say, when I get started every single time I have the opportunity to be with you, I always like to encourage you and remind you that we are one church in multiple locations. In fact, we have thousands of people literally around the world that watches us online. So wherever you are watching right now, I just want to say welcome to the creek. And then also, I just want to recognize that I am the campus pastor at our South Augusta campus. And I just want to say that God is doing incredible, amazing things at that campus. And you should be proud that, that we all get to be a part of that second harvest that God is moving in different areas of our community. Well, uh, today I am closing out a series, our our five-week series called Chosen, as we have been navigating through the different chapters of 1 Peter. And so today I'm going to talk about Peter's final advice to all of us. Many of you may know this if you uh, follow me on any social media platforms. You know that Jill and I, my wife, we have this beautiful little girl named Tinsley. Now, Tinsley is about almost two years old, not quite there yet, but she's, she's close to being there. So she's full of a whole lot of energy. And this recent thing that she's full of is a whole bunch of no's, like, nah, you know, that kind of thing. And you parents know exactly what I'm talking about if you've been there. And so uh, about a week and a half ago, actually June the 16th to be exact, uh, God chose us to be parents again, but this time to a little boy um, his name is Ian Martin Treglon, and I'm just I'm glad that we kind of evened out the estrogen and testosterone in our house. I'm looking forward to those men versus women water balloon fights when his neck doesn't like break if you're not holding it. And so um, that's a fun stage. But to commemorate this this moment of our lives, I wanted to share with you a picture. Of, this is Ian Martin Treglon. Uh, as you can already guess, he's so expressive. No, I'm just kidding. All of you who are like, this baby looks like his daddy. I need to see you after service. Okay, we need to get that lion spirit under control while there's still hope. <laughs> no, this is, this is actually our, our son, Ian. And in one of the pictures, you'll see Tinsley is, is holding what she calls baby. And so um, we're just, we're so honored and blessed just to get to be their parents and get to do this. And I quickly realized that as parents, our main, one of our main goals is just to simply raise our kids in a way where we can give them and share them practical advice and wisdom and, and, and insights that we've gained through our own experiences and pains and life choices. And hopefully by doing that, they will humble themselves and they would not just live a, a pleasing life, but they would be very successful at life. And then the hope is that they uh, do so, and in return, as they grow and they are more successful and they have their own kids, they, in fact, teach their kids uh, all the insight and wisdom that they've gained through their own experiences themselves. And it becomes this generational cycle of success and wisdom. And and so that's what our hope is. Well, that's actually kind of what Christ wants us to be for each other. It's that kind of example. And, And so we're... We're broken up into kind of two different, or, or on a spectrum of believers, and if you look around a room like this, you'll, you'll see that we are, in fact, different people on different spectrums of our faith walk. And so Peter, in chapter 5, really, he addresses and pours wisdom into these two different categories of people. One is what he calls elders, 
Uh, we can break that down as somebody who is, has grown up in their faith. They've matured in their faith. They are leaders. They are on serve teams, and they're leading the believers. And um, you have valuable insight and wisdom and, and, and advice that you get to share. You're chosen to share that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, Peter addresses um, the young, whether it's young in age or you're young in your faith, you're young in your journey with Christ. And he, too, says you're chosen to humble yourself and to really grow and to learn in this season. And so right now, you may automatically find yourself thinking about what, what side of that category you find yourself on. You, you know that in this season of your life, you have valuable insight and wisdom to share, and you're called to lead. Or maybe you find yourself in an area where you, maybe you just became a, a believer. You're just starting out in your walk with, with Christ. And God has called you. He's chosen you to humble yourself and really um, glean from the wisdom that other people have to offer. Well, in, in any way, we're going to break down these two categories from 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, and so we're going to start with verse 1. And Peter is talking to the elders, the leaders, those who have wisdom to share at this portion of the scripture. And he says, and now a word to you who are elders in the churches. He says, I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. And as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Peter appeals to those who are also elders and leaders. And ultimately to you is, he says, I appeal to you to care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly and not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Peter in the first part of this chapter, starts off by initially just addressing the fact that he, in, he does have credentials. He's qualified to write this letter, and he says he's qualified to write this letter because he too is an elder, because of his own experiences, his own sufferings, those life moments that he's embarked on with, with Christ and being a disciple. That qualifies him to be an elder. And because he's qualified to write this letter and to be an elder, well, he appeals to all the other leaders and elders that he's writing to. And his appeal is simple. It's just to care. Not just care for the flock that was entrusted to us, but to live by our own good example. And so Peter uh, addresses how we can be better leaders, how we can more effectively care for the flock. And so I want to talk to you and break this down for just a moment if that's you, here's the first uh, practical step you can take to being a better leader and to caring for your flock more effectively and efficiently is first, serve from the heart and not out of duty. Serve from the heart and not out of duty or obligation. In verse 2, Peter says this, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly and not grudgingly. See, there is a common misconception about God's plan for the church it calls for each member to play a vital role in, in, in just expanding God's kingdom. And we think because of this, we, we have this misconception that we are only supposed to serve God out of obligation. Or we only serve God out of duty because that is what's expected from us. Where the, the, the bad part of, of thinking like that is that oftentimes it brings about what we call burnout or it brings um, on this, this mentality that we only have to serve and we're, we serve that because 
um, or we serve because we're grudgingly serving, because we feel like we have to do it. But the fact is, the truth is, that God wants us to find joy and fulfillment in those areas that we serve. He wants us to serve willingly. He wants us to lead willingly and find fulfillment in that. So how does that happen? How can we get to a place where we serve God out of willingness and not grudgingness? Well, it basically happens when we serve or we lead in a role that matches who God has created us to be. You see, we're unique. We're all uniquely created for a purpose. In fact, we have Next Step class here at Stevens Creek Church. And Next Step basically just does what um, our vision says. We help people take their next step with Christ. And so if you are a part of that Next Step class, you'll hear as we walk through those steps, whether your, your next step is just to become a believer, to, to serve in an area, to, to love enough to give, or to invite a friend, or to attend regularly. But we do uh, talk about leading and serving. And so when we get to that place where we are leading and serving, we often say this, that you are uniquely created, that you were created on purpose and for a purpose. And each of us have different areas entrusted based on our own gifts, our own experiences, and even our own pains. Because of this, we shouldn't feel pressured to obligate ourselves to serve God just because we think that's what's expected from us. But we should rather, we should serve God willingly because he's created us to serve him in a unique and special way. We get to serve him willingly because he's called us to serve in areas that showcase our gifts, our, our personalities, our spheres of influence. Throughout the whole course of the Bible, I read how God consistently calls unique people to serve in unique ways. You see, when he was a young shepherd boy, God called David, who at the time was practicing slinging rocks at lions and bears to keep them away from the sheep that he was caring for. God uniquely called that shepherd boy to sling a rock at a giant and to save his people. God uniquely called this man named Moses, who was actually a murderer at one point in his life, and, and went on the, the, the run and hid in a wilderness for years, only for God to call him to, to, to lead thousands and millions of people out of slavery in, through that same wilderness into a promised land. See, God uniquely calls unique people to do unique things. The point here is that you don't have to be on stage behind a mic or singing or playing an instrument to find joy and fulfillment in what God has called you to do. God wants you to know that your purpose is just to serve him, is to lead other people in those areas where you can find joy and fulfillment that showcase who you are and who he uniquely made you to be. Not only should good leaders not serve grudgingly, but, but willingly, but Peter also gives us the next practical step that we should serve and lead because of what we can give and not what we can get. Leaders serve because of what they can give and not what they can get. In that same verse, verse 2, Peter keeps going and he says, not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. The reality is that all of us who may have experienced Christ and we are mature in our faith and we're in these serving areas, you know, 
we know that God has created this, this eternal reward for us. That reward is heaven. That he has created a place that is perfect in every single way that our, our own minds can't even comprehend how amazing it is. But the reality is, is that it doesn't always translate here on earth. That while we are serving him, there are going to be moments in our life where we are going to have troubles and trials that come our way. And if we're not rooted in the fact that we get to serve God because of our pure eagerness to serve him, then when we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, what are we going to do? We're just going to simply stop serving. We're just going to walk away. But Jesus reminds us in John's gospel the, the fallacy of, of, of serving him basically only for what he will give us. Serving for only what we can get out of it. John chapter 10, 11 through 13 says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks and scatters the flock. And then in verse 13, he reminds us, he reminds us of what's going to happen if we are only serving him based on what we can get. Verse 13, he says, the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. So what happens when we serve God out of our own selfish reasons? What happens when we serve God out of only what he can give us and not what we can do for him? Well, I'll tell you that when we serve him for only what we get, when we get overlooked because you know, we're in an area of serving that isn't on stage, then we get tired of getting overlooked. We just, we stop serving. Or when we're tired of being constantly um, derailed by the enemy and, and his relentless attacks, we turn away from God and, and go to other means of getting what we want. You see, when things bad happen in our life and we're not rooted in serving God, leading people and, and, and leading for God, if we're not rooted in the fact that we get to do that eagerly, then when things come and trials happen in our life, we can easily just walk away. Which is why we should remember that, that God has called us to be a great example for him. And so Peter reminds us of that in the verse 3. It's the, the third point that I want to point out to to those of you who are on the spectrum where you are a leader, you're serving in areas where you are established in your faith. Peter addresses the leaders and he says, lead by example and not dominance. Lead by example and not dominance. Verse three, he says, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Basically, what Peter was doing was he was reiterating what had already been ha what had already happened through Jesus. Remember, Peter, the author of our, our scripture context, he is a, a disciple. He's one of the original twelve. So he he did all these things with Jesus. He experienced all these moments with him. And for one story in particular, in John, he experienced the Last Supper. And so what happened was Jesus was with his disciple, fully knowing what was about to take place in his life, fully knowing the weight of the sin that he was about to carry, fully knowing also that he had all authority and power to make it go away. But instead of addressing that, what he did was he removed his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus gave them 
one more example, and possibly maybe the greatest example we can have as leaders is to serve. And then when he was done washing their feet, here's what Jesus commended them. He said, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Now take verse 15 to heart. This is what we can really grab onto. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. Jesus served by example. And because of this, Peter's words in verse 3 gives, has so much more weight because he was there and he experienced what it was like to, to be led by example when he says, by your own good example. Peter finishes telling these leaders to, to lead by example because he realizes the importance and the impact that we have as believers and leaders and servers of the Christian faith. He realizes that the impact that we have as leaders isn't so much the dogmatic teaching as it is leading a life that exemplifies Christ's character in us. It is, it is living a life where we love our spouse like Christ loves the church. It is exemplifying that prayer is a non-negotiable to our kids. It is loving the unlovable and giving hope to the hopeless. Our most powerful tool as leaders is an example of our life well lived. And so Peter finishes talking to the leaders of the church and he shifts focus for a moment onto some of the most pointed pieces of scripture that we find in the Bible. He talks to us who are, are just starting out in our faith, who are trying to, to grow in wisdom and insight. And the reality is that even though he's talking to these people, we can find that the next four practical, practical steps to um, being a, a good person can apply to all of us in our, our own lives where we are right now in this season. So we unpack the next few verses, starting with verse 5. Uh, Peter is talking about how can we grow in faith. And the easiest and the, most, and the first step that we take in growing in our faith is making humility the trademark of our life. Make humility the trademark of your life. Verse 5, it says that in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And then all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't think Peter means to apply in any way that only young people should, should um, uh, humble themselves and accept authority. And that's why he, he realizes that there's an application to all of us when he says, all of you, all of us, humble yourselves um, before God. And once we humble ourselves and dress ourselves in humility, he says, this is why, because God opposes, or some translations it says that God uh, resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I love verse five, because it deals with grace. And I, I think I love it so much, it's because so much in my own life, I'm here where I am, I, I get to do what I get to do because of God's grace. And so as I unpack that, I realize that this scripture, God um, was repetitive with the scripture. And twice in the New Testament, this scripture is quoted and is quoted from another scripture in the Old Testament in Proverbs where God opposes the proud. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but if we really let that statement sink in, I know what side of that statement I want to be on. I don't want God to oppose me. Listen, my wife just had a baby 
you know, she's um, nine months, and for a week and a half, my wife has been nothing but perfect, okay? All you husbands can agree that that's safe to say, all right? For nine months and a week and a half, she has been perfect in every way. But if somebody came to me and offered a free hiking trip, my, my, my go-to hiking trip, one that I've always wanted to do, if they offered to do that and let me do that for free, but I had to leave today and leave my wife with a, a brand new baby and a toddler that says no every two, time, every two words, then that's an, easy, that's an easy answer. I want my wife to see me with grace. I don't want her to oppose me. Listen, I, I love my couch, but it doesn't compare to the bed that I get to sleep in. I don't want to be on the bad side of my wife. So obviously I'm gonna stick around and help her out a little bit. As perfect as she is, she fails in comparison to God. Listen, we don't want to be on the wrong side of God. We don't want God to oppose us or to resist us because we are proud, but we wanna humble ourselves and let God give us grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives love. He gives his favor. He gives his acceptance, his joy, his grace. He gives all of that to the humble. You could say that grace and and pride are natural enemies. Pride demands that God use me because I am great and wonderful, but but grace, grace deals with me in the fact that we want God to use us because of how great and wonderful he is. Pride and grace, they're not just natural enemies, but they're eternal enemies. If you want your life to be full of grace, show humility. If you want your service for God to be blessed, then show humility See, the great test for all of us is can we serve God diligently even when we may be overlooked? I was just given a devotional written by uh, Dave Willis, and it was called Think Like Jesus, and it has 21 days. uh, They go over um, different proverbs. And one of the chapters, he writes this. He says, don't be quick to chase accolades or to seek the spotlight. Allow God to put you in those places of honor according to his timing. Otherwise, you'll end up there with the wrong motives. And here's one of my favorite lines in the whole book. He says, your importance is rooted in God. And he uses people who limp more than people who strut. Now, here's an important takeaway, though, as we, as we focus on that. Is that humility isn't self-hatred. Humility isn't isn't devaluing what you have to offer and who you are and who God's uniquely created you to be. Instead, humility is simply self-forgetfulness. It is being 100% other-centered instead of self-centered. And notice when we humble ourselves and when we are self-forgetful, in verse 6 it says that God will lift us up in honor in due time. That if God has us in a humble state of the present time, then he knows exactly when and how to establish us in a place of honor. Which leads me to verse 7 and the second practical step that we can, we can follow as we grow in our faith is that um, cast our anxiety on him. Cast our anxiety on him. True humility is shown when we're able to cast our cares on God. Peter says in verse 7, he says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. See, when we demand to bear the load ourselves and refuse to cast our cares and our anxieties and our worries on him, it is a sign of our own pride. That God, I, you know, I can take care of this better than you can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle this one. 
But God has promised to take care of us when we put our trust in him. I love the illustration that really Charles Spurgeon gives in in this uh, situation, this scripture reference. He says, think of it like this. Say you had to move and you hired a guy to come help you move and and he needed to move your, your heavy furniture, your couches, your appliances. But the dude shows up with a 60 pound backpack on. And he gets in there with this backpack and he's trying to move your furniture. He's trying to to move your appliances. He's banging up the baseboards. He's chipping the paint and he's frustrated. And and then on top of all that, he says, well, this is just too hard. Well, naturally, you're going to look at the guy and you're going to think, well, if you would just put down the backpack, it'd make this a whole lot easier. In the same way, it is extremely difficult to do what God has called us to do and serve in the areas that God has called us to do, serve in, if we, are all, or if we are still carrying the load of our own burdens and worries and anxiety. And that's why Peter says it is important not just to lay your anxieties away or just lay your, your cares aside, but he says, cast them aside. Cast all your anxiety on him. And why do we do this? We do this because there's a consistent theme throughout the whole Bible, and that is that God cares for us. Peter says, cast your cares aside because God cares for us. Because God cares for us, we have hope that that we don't have to carry this weight. We don't have to carry these, these burdens that we can just cast them to him. But we have to remember, though, just because God carries those burdens for us doesn't mean that we're not going to have a very real enemy that comes against us, which is why Peter then says this third practical step as we grow in faith is to be alert to a real threat. Be alert to a real threat. In verse 8, Peter says, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour Verse 9, he says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Listen, Peter exhorts us to be watchful and level-headed, to be sober-minded, to stay alert because we actually do have an adversary and his main goal in life is to distract you and to derail you from what God has called you to do, from that unique purpose that he's called you into. And that's why we should, we should stay alert and watchful, listen to the, listening to the roar of the lion that comes to rob all of us of our hope and our joy and even our effectiveness. Now listen, I have to say that that the enemy, he's gonna come and disguise himself in whatever way that he can to fulfill what he's come to accomplish. In fact, throughout the whole Bible, we have different imageries of of the enemy or of of the devil. In, In Psalms, he comes like a fowler. He's quick and swift. In 2 Corinthians, he comes like an angel of the light who is who is soft and kind. In, in Peter 5, he comes as a, a lion roaring, roar, roaring who tries to intimidate and is loud. He's going to come in whatever way he can to accomplish what he's trying to do, which is why Peter gives us this wisdom, to be watchful and to stay alert. And here's the good thing, though, that while he comes seeking to devour, he's been defamed by what Jesus did on the cross. That he has no real power as long as we are rooted and we stand firm in our faith. And as long as we, we trust what God says in his word about us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that, that he will hold us upright and that he will place us on a firm foundation. 
That the enemy may roar through persecution, he may roar through hardship, he may roar through obstacles in your life, but he can't accomplish his goal as long as we are watchful, alert, and we stand firm in our faith. So after we stand firm, Peter gives us final remarks in in the best, best part of this whole chapter. He gives us the final remarks and he encourages us to remember God's promises. Simply just to remember God's promises. In verse 10, he says, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. He's saying, essentially, remember I have prepared for you an eternal reward called heaven. It's given to you through what Jesus did. And then he says, so after you have suffered for a little while, he will restore, he will support, he will strengthen, and he will place you on a firm foundation. God's promises is that he will undoubtedly restore you, that he is still in the restoration business, that he can still restore your marriages, that he can still restore your relationships and your children that he will undoubtedly support you in this walk with Christ, that he will strengthen you when you are battling sickness and trial and hardship, and that he will inevitably place you on a firm foundation. Last week, Tuesday, Tinsley, my daughter, she always goes to gymnastics on Tuesday, and um, I took her because my wife had just had a baby, and so I took her to gymnastics, and and listen, there is no rhyme or reason for a two-year-old. Like, they just run around bumping into each other, jumping off things. Like, like it, it, is, it is chaos in there. It is fun, but it is chaos. And so Tinsley, she's so full of energy. She's just like, blah, 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 jumping off everything, jumping on the little trampoline thing. But there is one, one area that scares her for some reason. There's three pads lined up, and she goes from a taller pad to a, a medium pad to a smaller pad. And listen, uh, I'm more of an encourager than a protector when she's jumping from, like, one soft thing to the other. Like, it'd be different if she was jumping off, a, like, a bridge into a lake or something. But I'm like, listen, like, it's like this tall, Tinsley, you can do it. It's going to be okay. And so as I'm sitting there encouraging her, she reaches out her tiny little hand to me as if to say, Daddy, please help me. And so at that moment, my heart's just broken because I'm like, oh, you know, I got to help. And so I reached out my hand for her. And when she grabbed my hand, her face lit up as if to kind of say, I gave her permission that everything actually is going to be okay. And then in that moment, Jesus just struck me and reminded me that this is the promise that Peter has in 1 Peter 5. This is the promise that he gives all of us today. He encouraged us to, to jump and not just jump, uh, just jump out of, of no obligation, but, but to jump knowing that he is there for us and that he gives us permission that everything is going to be okay. The promise is that he is going to restore you. He's going to support you. He's going to strengthen you and that he's going to put you on a firm foundation. That's God's promise to all of us. It obviously, it starts. It starts with acknowledging that we are nothing without God. It starts by acknowledging that we desperately need him in our life. So as we come to a close, if you wouldn't mind, can we just stand together? And I want to walk through some moments today. See, everything else just leads up to this moment right now. 
God has called you. He's chosen you to be leaders of the faith. He's chosen you to humble yourself and to learn and to grow, to take in wisdom. It's all dependent on the fact that we choose God. That we choose that nothing else matters except for Him. That in this moment, maybe you've never committed your life fully to Him. This moment is for you. Maybe you're rededicating your life to him. This moment is for you. So here's what I want to do. I don't want to rush through this moment because this is the most important moment of the whole service. But I want to pray specifically for you. And then after I pray for you, I want to pray for those of you who are looking at me right now and you're like, and I've been leading in church for years. Yeah, and you still need prayer because there's still a real enemy that comes to distract you. I want to pray for you that God will restore you strengthen you, support you, and place you on that firm foundation. And then I want to pray for you who are young in your faith. You're just figuring out what this looks like, what this means. I want to pray for you that as the enemy comes looking to devour you, that you stand firm in your faith, that you humble yourself and you take in the wisdom that God has for you. Can we pray together? God, I just thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you have chosen us all that you created us, you put breath in our life, which means, Lord, that you have a specific and unique purpose for us. But God, it starts with simply accepting you. It starts with simply saying and, and admiring that, that we are nothing without you, God, that we, we have to have you in our life and we commit ourselves to you. So God, I'm gonna pray with those who are here today who want to pray that prayer, make that declaration. Just repeat after me. And as you pray, remember, it's not the words that you say, but it's, it's the belief in that, the faith in those words as you pray. God, I just thank you so much that you've chosen me to be here today. God, that you've chosen me for a specific purpose. God, I, I've, I've gone through pieces of my life not fully appreciating that you have uniquely called me into serve and to lead other people. So right now, God, I commit my life to you. God, forgive me of my sin. God, forgive me in the areas that I fail you, God, and lead me, lead me by your wisdom. God, I, I confess everything to you and I accept and I believe that you are king of the universe. Lord, I thank you that and I have the opportunity, no matter what my past looked like or what anybody said about me, I have the opportunity right now to declare that I'm fully committing my life to you. Now, God, I, I pray for those who maybe they're established in their faith or they put on a smile when they're out in public. They, they lead by a good example. They lead and serve willingly, God, out of eagerness, not grudgingly. But God, they're facing still a very real enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy their life. God, I pray that you would restore them, Lord. Restore what, whatever relationship is struggling. Restore their health. Restore their ambition. God, support them as they walk and navigate life, whatever that looks like for them in this season. And Lord, strengthen them in this moment. Strengthen them, God. And God, I, I pray also for those who are just trying to figure out 
what it looks like, God, to, to serve you, to lead. God, I pray that they would humble themselves before you, God. That they would, that they would be truly other-centered and not self-centered, God. And God, as they do this, as they, as they watch out for the roaring lion that comes to, 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 to devour them, Lord, that they would use the shield of faith that you give them to stand firm and to know, God, that you have called them to restoration, to support, to strength, and to a firm foundation, God. And God, we are just so thankful, no matter where we are on this life, this spectrum, we are thankful that we are all chosen by a very real and a very good God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.